Hello, I'm Bastian. I have been building up companies for the last 10 years, mainly in the area of medtech, and I'm co-founder of Flynn, responsible for sales and finance. Hi, I'm Marcus, and I spent my last 10 years mostly in product management in companies such as N26. And in Flynn, I'm co-founder for topics around product and people. Flynn is a VC-funded early-stage company. Our software helps medtech companies to automate their quality and regulatory affairs processes. And in this podcast, we want to candidly share our lessons learned while building Flynn from the ground up. Advisors have helped us in the last year on multiple different fronts, getting interest to customers, sparing strategy with us, giving input to our product, and helping us in the sales front to be just a strong brand on our sales stack. And in this podcast episode, we want to talk about what the difference between a business angel and advisor is, what you can expect from advisors, how you set up your advisory board or advisor sessions, how regularly you talk with them, and of course, also how you compensate advisors and what legal frame you should set up around it. I would say let's start with the first question around what the actual difference between a business angel and an advisor is and when you want to prefer maybe advisor versus business angel. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about this, Bastian. Yeah, so I think actually in some cases it is not so easy to separate because there can be the case that a business angel is also an advisor at the same time. So what is the motivation of a business angel? A business angel has invested early in the company, usually because there is some affiliation with the industry or with the kind of the business that is built, and they expect them to be valuable for the company. Uh, so usually they have an, I would say, an organic interest in supporting the company with their advice or network, right? which is pretty similar what what an advisor is doing. However, you, often there is the case and that a business angel is quite say, limited in time because of other efforts or for a small ticket that, that was invested, uh, you cannot require a business angel to dedicate a certain minimum amount of time every week or every month, right? And so there can also be this really specified role as advisor, advisory board member, it's often called. And this role means really independent, whether the person has invested or not, that this person is delivering some support to the company usually also contractually, contractually agreed what this kind is, right? While a business angel usually is doing it as a favor to the company based on his in aligned interest of having invested in the company. And we at Flynn, we have both models in place, right? Like we have business angels and we have advisors and we have also some people who fulfill both of these criteria. As a recommendation to you now as founders, we would say there's nothing bad about making a person that you want to have an advisor a business angel at the same time, right? So you cannot lose anything by suggesting also a business angel ticket, maybe additional also advisor remuneration that we will also go into this podcast later on. But yeah, haven't haven't seen really a downside on doing that. What about you, Marcus? Did you have any kind of other difference out there? I think it's actually better if someone is actually investing also money because then she might be also encouraged to really... Yeah, she has a skin in the game, as you would say. Uh, but as you said, like some people just maybe have never invested, don't have the money, the capabilities, the experience, and it's just, that's too tricky for them. And we have this these cases as well, so we're happy to have them as a an advisor. But of course, always it's good to also have some skin in the game because then they have a double incentive, so to say, 
or even more of an incentive in the whole thing. Yeah, I would, would like to give you a concrete example. Like in our industry, with Flynn, we are operating in the building regulatory and compliance software for the medtech and pharma industry. And of course, experts in the industry really have done in a daily business, uh, for example, some regulatory, some compliance processes are really sought leaders in certain aspects um, of this industry. They might not be regular business angels. So this is not maybe a business strategic person or a former startup founder who has done an exit event with his company. So these often employees or sought leaders in large companies in the medtech space, or they are also working in some associations that are building regulatory around this space. So if these people haven't done regular experience, like as it's the example with our industry, then don't force them into this because you want to have general investors on board who are used to the risk and the ups and downs that can happen in an early stage startup, right? So if you force people in who are not experienced investors, be a bit careful. I would even recommend sometimes going rather for the advisor role before. And what I also want to mention in the whole context, right, in the whole context of advisory board members, this is potentially something that is in the value that this can bring to the company. This might be like underappreciated or, or not always being executed in the way we recommend to do it, right? Because really, this can be a game changer and a very significant chance for a early stage company bringing the right advisors on board. And I would like to tell you an experience that I had when I was in the Silicon Valley for an accelerator program. I had a very interesting, inspiring speaker there. And he told us um, as the young startup founders at the time, really take care. You can validate your business idea, your problem by seeing whether of the top 10 people in the world on your list that you would love to have advisors, at least one of these people is signing as advisor to your company. This is a very good sign for you that you are on the right track. And I think this this uh, kind of sentence and this thought can put your attention to this topic. How important could it be to have the right strategic people with you sitting on board of your company when building some new venture? Now, I think we have now given quite some introduction. Maybe we go a little deeper. You talk quite a bit about things like what categories of advisors exist. What can I use an advisor for? Maybe you want to go a bit deeper and like giving us some examples on these topics. Yeah, so I would maybe start with the question, what kind of advisors do I need, right? And I think this is always a bit dependent on the team, right? So, of course, if you look on the founder team, think about what are the gaps to be filled, right? This would be my first thought. And then I would challenge what are the categories, right? Like, usually, of course, you can have advisors in the general strategic support, we've seen similar companies and with similar business models being built up. So like really strategic advisors, you can have really, really deep industry experts as kind of advisors. And you can also have, for example, advisors in a specific topic around legal or finance, etc. So this can be on the one side on the very strategic side, on the one side very, very related to the industry you're in, and on the third side on generic functions that every kind of company needs, right? We at Flynn tried to build a quite balanced set of kind of advisors. However, the strongest focus of our advisory board is still on the industry because we really wanted to have very strong support there. But it's in, in our opinion, it's always good to have second very qualified opinions in several aspects the company is acting in. And for example, we're really of the opinion that even if you have experience in a field, 
it's good to be challenged, right? It's still good to be challenged, right? Even if you are an experienced marketer, for example, it's still good to have very, very strong sales experts challenging you in what you're doing in your strategy. This can be really on top. So first advise us on the strong weaknesses, on the strong spots that should be filled and maybe are, cannot be filled yet with a very ex experienced employee in an early stage company. Second, focus further building your aspiring partners. This would be my suggestion. And I would say like maybe one more aspect you want to add is, is, is also, of course, advisors bring network, people that can help you maybe with introductions on the sales side, but also advisors can bring repetition. So if, for example, it might help you to put your advisors on a sales flight and say, hey, those four or five people, they advise me that can create a lot of trust with your clients to make them like show who is believing into your company, not just investors, but also advisors. So you might also want to choose some advisors more from, from these angles. So there are different reasons why you want to bring an advisor on board. And as in how, how many advisors would you say someone in an early stage or stage like our, ours should, should look for? Uh, usually this is a question where it's very hard to give a straight answer, right? I would say some less than two, three is probably kind of uh, would be very limited opinions. And then you would utilize this great chance of getting outside opinions and outside network in your company. You wouldn't probably utilize it on an optimal level. Some point more than 10, it gets quite hard in, uh, to our own experience to really be in contact with everybody of them and really getting out the value you could get out of. Right? So it's also advisors have to be managed, right? Be aware they are usually very experienced, very busy people. So you need to kind of be very proactive and otherwise you will not get out a lot out of these partnerships. So I think there's a good range in the area of uh, three to 10. We have probably would say four to five kind of advisors who some of those are also business angels uh, to the company. And we have a network of more than 10 business angels. Some of them are more passive angels investing uh, financial resources and some are also quite active angels. So in total, probably it's up to 10 people really closely involved in, the, in our actual development process and uh, uh, sales process and strategic process. And we can really see the benefit and the value out of this. Yeah, one more structure that can also work is because we, we mentioned as in, in the beginning, business angels who invested in your company will have a certain incentive to help you. But if you need a lot of help from someone, meaning like I need an hour every week or two weeks, two hours every week, that can be too much. So that means you can give them more shares by giving them business angels plus plus advisory shares, or you might also want to like pay them a discounted consulting fee. Instead of like 150, maybe they give you 100 euro or 80 euro. So they will be a consultant with a strong alignment of interest. That can also be actually very valuable and interesting and uh, help basically to have a fair but fair setup with the right incentives in place. Let's now dive a little bit into the topic you picked up a few times. You talk about the advisory board. So board versus single advisory sessions, because I have myself... I'm advisor to three or four companies. I've been on an advisory board and I've experienced that that was oftentimes very inefficient and my one-on-one -on -one sessions with the company were significantly more valuable than these board sessions where everyone was just listening a lot and made a smart statement and it didn't really bring a lot of value. Right now, we internally work a lot with one-on-one -on -one sessions, but I think Bastian, you have also experienced very valuable board sessions with a, where multiple people in a room. So how do you reflect on this? Yeah, I think it should be also considered a bit the stage of the company and the setup of the company. So for example, in Flynn, we are really founder-driven company, quite experienced founder team. And so we are more like kind of addressing 
the, the needs that we are having with our advisors, usually in individual meetings, sometimes maybe adding two of them in the future, we have some plans of that, but like not, not a structured board way. And I think at that stage where you really found it driven, this is the, probably the most efficient. You go to the advisor that you want something from that, that can help in the, the issue the best, right? In later stages or in also other ownership setups, I have also seen quite valuable ways of aligned advisory boards. Sometimes they even represent some major shareholders of the companies. Sometimes they are appointed by the shareholders, uh, industry experts that are appointed. And I think the, the value of a board can be, especially in a situation of a company where the final decisions cannot yet be done by the founders anymore, right? Because it's a more diverse own, owned company where some managers running the company. I saw the great advantage of a board meetings that it could really nicely align on the next quarter, next half year strategy together. And it's a pretty efficient way of managing the different interests of different experts and different investors that are represented via the board. So can depend on the stage uh, be also of value, in my opinion, but probably in the early stage, uh, be careful to have not a too formalized and, and, and too operatively active board. Yeah, and I think when we talk about board, it's also very important to not mix up the things because you might have a board of investors or shareholders. So we have a, not very formal, but like we have board with two of our two partners from the two key funds. We speak monthly and we speak actually quarterly in a, in a longer session, monthly in a shorter session. So that is separate from the advisory board. Sometimes that can also be mixed up, but I think we want to keep this a bit separate because from, for, for different reasons and purposes. And when you have board meetings, it might also make sense if you have advisory boards to create boards around certain purposes. So not, as Bastia said, like not necessarily always do my advisory board meeting every quarter or every month, but say, okay, this time I make advisory board meeting around special technical strategic decisions and I bring the three key technical advisors on board or I bring the industry experts together or I bring all of them together to talk about general strategy. So it can also be flexible. So think about what do you want to achieve? What are the problems and who is best, who is most believable in helping you to solve problems, take decisions, give you input and insights. Maybe out of this, we could also derive a question, how regular would you say, Bastian, you interact with advisors, board of advisors? Maybe coming also from what we request usually from advisors that are partnering with us. Usually we request something like, let's say, three hours per quarter from them, right? Some amount of this time. So you can already see this is not the part-time job, right? Like this is really people who can help with network and with strategic support. And so usually we it's on our depth to to get, you know, like our meetings, our hours from these advisors. If we don't kind of push for this, it's not in our right to, to derive them in a later time. So this means we usually try to be at least once per quarter in contact with advisors. Sometimes if there's current uh, is, is focused topics, uh, it might be even twice, like once a month with very involved advisors. But I think this is a regular typical thing. In a very, very early stage, um, it could also be, that you maybe have temporary or even um, for one or two years, like some kind of advisor joining you to set up the basic company in some functions that you cannot uh, do yourself, right? We have seen that as well. Then it's uh, maybe even in more involved advisors than these purely strategic advisors that you meet maybe once a month for every quarter. Yeah, they help maybe build up a special team or take an interim role for a certain time. Could also be an advisor instead of a freelance contractor. And I think there's a last big open question in the room, which is compensation, legal setup, 
what do advisors get, what do I give them, what do I offer them. When you Google, you see something like it can all be all the way from 0 to 1% to 1%. We more regularly see 0 to 1% to 0 to 5%. Also looking at my own experience as an advisor. Bastian, what would you say? Like Maybe you can tell a little bit how we have approached that, what we have seen, and whom do I give? One zero to one, whom do I give zero to five? Like, how do you deal with this? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say, don't be over greedily with your advisors. But really, really, the podcast is about making you aware of this chance, if this great opportunity for your company using advisors. And I think usually it's well-spent equity, to my experience. And we do usually kind of are in this typical range of 0.1 to 0.3 percent i would say this is a typical one for being in contact once or twice per quarter with having a very strong network as a qualification like, like this is really senior people you're talking to right like you cannot really compare this with a typical employee right this is really really uh, experienced people that are typically joining advisory board and there might be outliers with heavier collaboration where we might go up to close to 0.5% maybe in the future. But this is what we do, what we have seen also pretty common. Outliers of that is really usually only seen in a super early stage, maybe even before you have investors on board, right? So in that time, the company has no locked in value, right? Like you are absolutely in the beginning. They really help already in your first validation in making traction towards investors and making really traction towards customers to just get this business into a real business maybe even pre-foundation of the company, then you could potentially see even higher than 0.5. Yeah, so and, and I think that's very important to set the timing context. We are now as a company in, we've raised our pre-seed round from today on, like it's it's nine, nine months ago. And, and that's different than if you would bring someone on board after raising a seed round or also quite different to, for example, when, when it's pre-funding and pre-everything. That makes a big difference. And uh, that's why you need to be mindful on this. What stage? And you can, of course, calculate the value and you could calculate and say, okay, if this person spends one or two hours, such a person might get as a consulting rate, I don't know, a couple of hundred euros per hour. So you can do these calculations as well to double, to cross check whether it's, it might be fair. So this can be helpful as well. What else, Bastian, would you say? Legal framework and what kind of aspects should be considered? Yeah, it's very important to set up a good structure around managing your advice report from a legal perspective. So these people are entering kind of, I would call it a consultant contract to your company, right? So it's similar like a consultant, but they are not reimbursed usually with cash because then it would be a very classical consultant way, but they are reimbursed with shares. And we recommend phantom share programs, especially if you are based in the German-speaking region, where it's usually a bit tax issue if you are not a listed company to transfer hard shares of a company. So therefore, the recommendation is you use a kind of phantom stock option plan, a virtual share plan, similar like you use for your employees. So when we knew already when we set up our VSOP plan for our employees that we will be also want to hire advisors to our company. So we set this already up in a way that we can utilize the same pool and the same contracts for both sides. So you can keep them as generic that they fulfill the needs for kind of a consultant person as well as an employee. The only difference is in the comparison, the not the employment contract is the 
basis for connecting the share transfer, the, the ongoing employment contract, but the ongoing consulting contract is the basis, right? So this is the legal framework that we set up. And one topic of great interest for you that you should pay attention to is when we set up such phantom share plans, we usually also consider and uh, pay attention to the topic of vesting. This means that these shares are earned or over a certain time period. It would be stupid to just give away all the shares immediately from the first day on, right? Because the incentive is that you want your advisors to stay with you, right? And they should stay as long as possible. We do usually four years period, which is probably industry standard, something between three to five years. Everything uh, outside three to five years is usually not that much industry standards. I have seen in advisor board phantom share agreements also two years. For example, because this could be the case that advisors are very available in a certain period of the company, right? More in the early stage, more in the scale stage, whatever the specific period they are focusing on. But you can, like as an inspiration, you can design your general stock option plan in a way that you can also use it for your advisors and take care that the proper vesting is in place. Because then in case decide not to collaborate anymore or also uh, what can be very normal that an advisor at some point wants to drop out of the contract. It's a very fair and standardized way how you could separate again legally. Yeah, to wrap it up, I think we talked a lot about different aspects. The key message here for you should be pay attention to the topic, take it serious. Some of you might have never even considered advisors. So bring a couple of really valuable people on board. Think about like who is best compensating your weaknesses or what who can give you special access to the industry can be an unfair advantage can be a valuable brand when selling your product and then basically design a fair compensation package with them or for them when you look into an, uh, setting up employer stock option programs consider this already maybe you want to also listen into our episode about this employer stock option program where we explain this topic in way more detail and then there's a lot of Things that depend on the situation, whether it's a board or single sessions, how many sessions you actually make and what topics you discuss with the advisor. That really depends from situation to situation. So be flexible, but also reflect continuously about your learnings and say, hey, does this work for us? Is this valuable for us or not? You always have the option of vesting. So if you notice after a year or two that the advisor is not actually creating any value for me, but having shares you can always pull back and, and stop their collaboration. Be mindful about this, but this is, of course, an option to also consider. Bastian, do you want to share any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I would like to give you some very concrete examples of what has happened in the last year since we work with advisors that helped us significantly. Some really helpful uh, topics that happened. We got a lot of uh, customer introductions via our advisory network. We got also introductions to further investors. We got very, very good sparring on our roadmap, on our product strategy from deep industry experts. And we got even really nitty-gritty support in some of regulatory reviews, etc., of our own software or usability uh, review of our own software. So there's just some inspirations that happened in these last 12 months uh, with our advisors collaborating with them. Why I really can urge you, this is a great opportunity for hacking growth and hacking building your company faster than you could without having access to the strongest people in the industry.